having a big party, and all over the globe, there's a big party happening. Easter, millions, billions, really, of people celebrate Easter. This is, I mean, probably the biggest, other than Christmas, holiday that people celebrate. All, all over the world today, people are celebrating something. I mean, so they're celebrating that Jesus rose from the dead, right? Today is the day that people celebrate that Jesus is alive, that Jesus resurrected. But I think as we, as we look at that, we have to ask, is there actually good reason to celebrate? Is there actually good reason to celebrate? I mean, Easter all over the world is being celebrated as the day that Jesus rose from the dead, but is there good reason to celebrate? That's a really important question, and I know there's a lot of new faces in here today, and I don't know everybody. I know some of you have probably been Christians for a long, 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 long time, and it's still an important question to ask, okay, we do this every year, we celebrate Easter every year, is there really reason to celebrate? Is there really reason to celebrate? Or maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're not sure what you believe. Maybe this, somebody dragged you here today and, and you were promised barbecue, and that's great. But maybe you're not sure. Is there really reason to celebrate? Is there reason to celebrate? And so that's what we're going to talk about in our time together today. Is there really a good reason to celebrate? And to answer that question, we have to, we have to ask two questions. One is, did, is there reason to believe that the resurrection actually happened? I mean, we can't really celebrate if we're just kind of having a false party. No one has a, a birthday party if there hasn't been somebody that was actually born. So we have to ask, is, is there actually good reason to believe that the thing happened in the first place? But then the second question we have to ask is, so what? So even if we say it did happen, and maybe you've been a Christian for a long, long time, so what? What if it did happen? Is there still, is there reason to celebrate that? Is there reason to have barbecue and balloons and a candy table? Is there, I mean, there's always a good reason to have a candy table, but is there especially a reason to have one on Easter? Is there good reason to believe that the event happened? And is, is it worth actually celebrating? It, why? Why is it so significant? So those are the two questions. So the first question we look at is this. Is there any good reason to believe that the resurrection happened? That's what we celebrate on Easter, but is there a good reason to believe that it actually happened? And, and here's what I'll say, and maybe this, will, maybe this will sound kind of strange coming from a pastor, but you shouldn't just readily believe that. I mean, you should doubt that. If somebody just came up on the street and told you, hey, just so you know, I resurrected yesterday, you shouldn't, oh, well, yeah, of course, I believe that. I mean, that's not something that you should just readily believe. You should have questions about that, especially given the distance between us and when the event happened, thousands of years. You should have questions about that. You should doubt that. That shouldn't be something you just readily accept and go, well, yeah, sure, why not? Because it's, it's a really important claim. I mean, it's an audacious claim to say that this person came to the earth and he died and he resurrected and now our whole life is based on that. That's an audacious claim. So you should question it. You should ask, is there good reason to believe this? It's an important question. So is there good reason to believe it? Here's what we know. Here's what historians, Christian, not Christian, atheist, not atheist, here, here's what historians agree upon, okay? They believe that something happened. Now, I know that's not, you know, super dramatic. Well, okay, next point. Okay, but they believe that something happened. That 2,000 years ago, something happened. Something took place. Okay, this is, this is what you just have to look at history and see. I mean, we have the church. There's a church that exists in the sense of Christianity exists. People forming this community exists. So they, historians look at it and they go, something took place. Something had to happen. 
Something happened. So think about it like this. Christianity blew up on the scene. It blew up on the scene. Within, I mean, just overnight, and then within a year, and then within a couple years, it blew, I mean, it just exploded. So historians have to go, something took place. What was it? I want you to imagine that something tragic happens to you tonight. I mean, don't think about what it is, but just hypothetically, something bad happens to you tonight. And you're in a coma for a year. And you wake up. You wake up. Okay, you wake up and it's been a year. And when you wake up, everything is different. Everything. So the people that you were friends with, something has radically changed their lives. The people that were mean and stingy, they're now like the most generous people. And you are going, what happened? The people that were racist and didn't like people that weren't like them, all of a sudden they're the most inclusive people ever. The people that had certain jobs over here, some of them left those jobs and they're doing something entirely different. The people that were hardcore, didn't believe in God, hardcore atheists, now all of a sudden their whole life is built around this this fact that they believe in God. That's akin to what happened. Something happened that historians look at and go, something took place. Something took place that literally overnight and then within a couple years History has changed. I mean, history's never been the same since whatever took place, took place. And that's just a historical fact. Something happened. So then we have to ask, what was it? What, what happened? What, what could have happened that could just explode on the scene and create this? And Christians obviously claim, well, Jesus resurrected. But is there any other good possibilities? Is there any other good possibilities for what could have happened that would literally now have changed the course of history? that would overnight have led to people changing their entire belief structure? Is there anything that could have happened? Here's, here's the alternative explanations, okay? Here, here's some of the questions. These are, and these, these are, this is what's out there, okay? If you Google it, if you research it, here's the alternative explanations. One of them is this. Maybe he didn't really die. This was popular for a while. Maybe, maybe Jesus went to the cross. Nails went through his hands. Nails went through his feet. Spear was jammed in his side. He had been beaten. He had been whipped. He had been scourged. They put him in a tomb. They put the stone over it. And then he came out and convinced everybody that he had resurrected. Now, the problem with that is, I mean, there's a fountain back there. I just all of a sudden heard it was I was quiet. The problem with that is this. First, Romans are known to be professional executioners. So if you study history, Romans, they may be messed up at a lot of stuff, okay? Maybe they weren't good at hopscotch, and maybe they weren't good at the, you know, just this and that. Maybe they couldn't play sports very well, but they could do one thing really well, and that was kill people. And that's true. I was watching a History Channel thing this week, and Romans knew, they had perfected execution. They had perfected it. So that's one problem. I mean, they, they don't mess up at execution. But the second thing is this. Imagine, that, imagine somehow they messed up or he, he was in cahoots with the guy and was like, hey, jab the spear and miss my heart and you know, put the nails in in a, a gentle way. Imagine that happened, okay? Could you, do you really think that Jesus would be able to convince his disciples, I resurrected? I mean, he might be able to convince them that he is like Rocky and he's listening to Eye of the Tiger and he's just not stopping and he's going to go down and keep getting back up and just, but he's not going to be able to convince him that you resurrected. You're bleeding. You got holes in your hands. You're, I mean, you would need medical attention. 
So that's why a lot of people now, I mean, as they look at that and as they look at history more thoroughly and see what the Romans did and see what it would have taken, that's not really taken that seriously, but it's one of the explanations that's offered. But second is this, maybe it wasn't the right tomb. Was it the right tomb? So here's what the Bible says, and and we had, uh, Rebecca read this scripture earlier, that the women, some of Jesus' followers, they went to the tomb and they found Jesus. They were the first ones. They found Jesus. They found that the tomb was empty, and, and it's, they said, he's resurrected. The tomb's empty. Some people go, well, maybe they went to the wrong tomb. And some of you are laughing, because I agree. It seems a little silly. I mean, all of us have gotten lost, okay? But none of us have gotten so lost that we created an entirely new religion, right? I mean, it seems like as you started getting going, you'd probably go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We got to go back and just make sure we had the right address, right? There's no Google Maps. And I think, honestly, I think it's kind of sexist, too. Because I don't know if they would say that about men. Really. I'm not saying that myself to be sexist, but I think that that's something that, oh, the women were so emotional, and they just, you know, women always, bad sense of direction, they wound up at the wrong tomb. I just think that's, eh, seems a little arrogant to me. But this is something that people say. It's not necessarily taken too seriously, but this is one of the claims. Here's another one. This is probably the one that has the most popularity. And this is, maybe it was just a conspiracy. Maybe it was a conspiracy. So maybe the disciples said, you know what? Let's invent this. Let's say that that this guy that we've been following, let's say he resurrected from the dead. And, and maybe they did that to gain power and they did that to, to be able to start a movement and have power and be able to control things and, and have a big following. Maybe that's what happened. But kind of the, the classic response to that is that they probably wouldn't have died for something that they made up. I mean, people die all the time for what they believe in, right? I mean, people die for ideals and principles and that kind of thing, but people don't die for just something they make up. Or if they, even if they do, even if they were crazy enough to do that for some reason, you, I mean, it's probably unlikely that all of them would have. But even more than that, there's a world-class historian named N.T. Wright, and he's taught at Cambridge and Oxford, and, and here's what he has said as he has studied history. You have to remember that this was the Jewish people that this all happened in, okay? And 100 years before Jesus... 100 years after Jesus, there were about a dozen, give or take, people that claimed to be the Messiah. So the Jews were waiting for a Messiah to come, somebody that would deliver them from the Roman rule, somebody that would, that would be the king, that would usher in a new kingdom. They were waiting for that person. And a lot of revolutionaries would spring up and they'd say, I'm the Messiah, come follow me. And then what would happen? They'd get killed. And none of us have heard of them. Or if you've studied the history, maybe you've heard of them. But no one today, there's not a church meeting over there that says, oh yeah, we follow that guy. Because they died. So if they came and said, I'm the savior, I'm the king, and then they died, people just said, well, guess not. And just moved along. If you wanted to say that your follower was the Messiah, and then he died, you would either just give up, or you would pick another guy, and say, no, actually, he was the Messiah. The baton got passed. But the Jewish people wouldn't have even invented the idea of, no, 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 he resurrected. 
They wouldn't even come up with that. There was no, no other Messiah even claimed such a thing, and it wasn't even in their vocabulary. So this is what N.T. Wright, historian who has studied all of this, shows us. And you can, you can look at it. You can look and see that there was multiple people that claimed to be Messiahs, that failed, that died. The end. Game over. But something different happened with Jesus. So the, this, is, this is what we have. We have maybe the tomb was the wrong tomb. We have maybe it was a conspiracy. And we have maybe he didn't really die. I mean, this, this is really the explanations that are offered. That overnight, something happened. That within a few years, thousands and thousands of people began to say, Jesus is alive. What could have done that? What could have done that? That's the historical question that has to be asked. Some people are convinced by what I just said. Some people are convinced by those things. Maybe you are. I'm, I'm just not, I just don't think that that has the power to explain it. So is there good reason to believe it actually was the resurrection? Is there good reason to believe that? And I think there's a lot of reasons, but let me just give you a couple. One of them is this. Appearances. doesn't matter how skeptical the scholar, almost all of them will say this. People claimed that Jesus appeared to them. People claimed that Jesus appeared to them. So people claimed that. Now, maybe they were wrong and maybe they were crazy, but people claimed that. That's, that was a claim that was made. Here's what Paul, the early leader of the church, here's what he says. And this, this is in a letter, 1 Corinthians. This was written about 15 to 20 years after Jesus died. Okay, this is written 15 to 20 years after Jesus died, before the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you've heard of those books. It was written before this. This is 15 to 20 years after Jesus died. Here's what Paul says. And he's writing to a church. And he says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So he's saying, I got this from other people. Most, most scholars would say this came, the information he's talking about came within a couple years. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, he's, that's like his nickname, Peter's probably how you most commonly know him. Then to the twelve, that's to all the rest of the disciples. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. So here's what's happening in this. This is why this is really important. This is a public document. It's a public, it's a public letter. It's a public letter, and he's reading it publicly. And basically what he's saying is, go check it out for yourself. Go Google it. Is, that's what he's saying, okay? That's the translation. Because he's saying, you can go talk to these people. They're still alive. Hey, a couple died. But they're still alive. They're still there. You can go check what I'm saying. I mean, if I stood up to you today and said, yesterday, I rose from the dead. And then I told you, 500 people saw it. They're still alive. And this person saw it. And this person, I mean, you could go check it, right? I mean, that, that's his point, is that you can go check this. And in fact... That's really how the Bible is written in general. If you look at the stories of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that talk about Jesus' life, they're written in the same way. They're written saying, go check it. Go check it out. Let me, let me show you this. Here's just one little scene. There's several of these. 
This is right as Jesus is um, about to be crucified. It says, And when they mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And then it goes along. You never hear about Rufus or Alexander again. So why does he say that? Why all of a sudden, if it's just made up, why, why do you throw in, oh yeah, guess what, Rufus was there. Okay, anyway, so then blah, 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 blah. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. If I'm telling you a st- even if I'm telling you a story, if I'm telling you a story about something that happened and, I'm, and I say, oh, Jim was there, and you have no idea who Jim was, and then I keep going on with the story, you, it doesn't, no one does that. The point, why the Bible is filled with this is because these are known people in the communities and they're saying, he was there, go ask him, go check it. Rufus was there. Rufus isn't mentioned anywhere else in those, in, in those books. I mean, but Rufus, there he is. He's the key to the resurrection. You didn't know it, right? Rufus, he saw it, go ask him. And Alexander, but I just like Rufus, he's got a cool name. But the whole, the whole Bible in the New Testament is saying, go check these things. Go check it. Go check it. There was people there. Here's why this is different. Okay, a lot of religions that have gotten started, here's what happens. They say, I got this, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful in any way. This is what these religions claim. They say, I was in a cave, and I received a private revelation from God. They say, I was in the forest, and I received a vision from God. They say, I was by myself meditating, and I received a vision from God. And now I want to tell you about it. Trust me. That's what all the other religions claim, is something like that. But that's, Christianity is not like this. Now, maybe it's wrong, okay? You could say, well, they're all lying. They all made it up. But that's, this is not a religion that says, just trust me. It's a religion that says, go ask this guy, go ask this guy, go ask Alexander, go ask Rufus, go ask 500 people, go ask James, go ask, go ask this guy, go ask that guy. That's what it's saying. It's saying, put it to the test. Put it to the test. Put it to the test. The way that we put it to the test is by, is by reading this and saying, okay, is there stuff in there that shows that this was written by people claiming it was there? I, I've, I've done jury duty before. I don't know if any of you have done jury duty it was probably one of the most interesting and also horrible experiences of my life. And if you've done jury duty, maybe you agree. But, but there was kind of a, it was a case of like a he said, she said thing. This gal says he was waving a knife at me. The guy says, no, I wasn't. The guy got off. Because it's just he said, she said, right? That's really hard to prove anything. But what if in that case, it was he said, she said, and then, oh yeah, also these 12 people, and Rufus, and Alexander, and 500 people. I mean, then the jury, and we let the guy off because there wasn't enough evidence, even though I know he was guilty, but we let him off. But it's because there wasn't enough evidence. But in this case, if you brought 500 people to the witness stand, and then 12 people, and then Rufus again, man, it's, it's really hard to say, ah, I think they made it up. And that's why some people say, well, look, yeah, there was appearances, but they hallucinated. I mean, there's, there's been some crazy hallucinations. Some of you have probably taken some wild drugs, but it doesn't matter how crazy of a trip you've had. It's not a crazy enough trip to make 500 other people hallucinate. If, I mean, you would be way richer than Breaking Bad if that was the kind of stuff you could sell. That when I take this, other people hallucinate, right? I mean, that's not, 
So that's, I mean, you, you look at history and there hasn't been anything like that where they say, oh yeah, look, masses of people hallucinated. Yeah, sure, one guy can hallucinate, a couple people can hallucinate, but five, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. So the appearances, secondly, a new community, a new community got created. See, again, I mentioned this before, but this happened in the Jewish community, okay? This happened in the Jewish community, and they had all sorts of rituals, they had all sorts of beliefs, they had all sorts of practices, and they changed. They changed. I mean, the closest thing to this for us to understand is imagine ISIS, radical Islamic community. Imagine that within a year, within a few months, really, their beliefs were entirely different. And this is what happened. That they used to do animal sacrifices and they stopped because they said, Jesus is our sacrifice. They used to worship at the temple and they stopped and they said, Jesus is our temple. They used to have certain rites and practices like circumcision and other things, and they stopped because they said Jesus ushered in a new covenant. That things changed. And and here's obviously the biggest one. These were strict, strict, strict monotheists. Like Islam. There was one God. It's what they believed. And then they began to worship Jesus as God. What do you think it would take for ISIS to start worshiping some random human being as God. It wouldn't happen, right? I mean, it would take something crazy. This is what happened to the Jews. That overnight, their practices shift, their rituals shifted, their community shifted. At at great cost to themselves, many of them killed, many of them kicked out of their families because they said, no, Jesus is alive. I mean, the fact that the church exists, that the community of Christians exists, says something amazing happened. So is there good reason to believe it? I think there is. I think if if you don't think there is, you have to look at history and say, what else could explain it? What else could explain it? Secondly, if it did happen, why does it matter? I mean, if it happened, if Jesus rose from the dead, why does it matter? Because here's what I know. I know that many people, and I was talking to somebody even this week, they do not say, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in Jesus. Sure, I believe all that. But it doesn't really make much difference in their life. So why does it matter? Is it something really worthy of celebrating? Why so significant? Why so significant? Here's what, here's what Paul says as he writes a letter to the church in Rome. And I'll read this whole section and then we'll, we'll look at this. Here's what he says. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? There's some weird language in here, but just I'll explain. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing 
so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And if you want, you can keep your Bible open to Romans 6, 3, and 11. So why does this matter? Here's what Paul says. Paul says that Jesus comes to give newness of life. That he comes to give newness of life. That Jesus' death and then his resurrection brings newness of life. It brings a new life. But here's what that means. I mean, this is really important not to miss. What that means, what Paul is saying, what Jesus claims as well, is that right now, if you're not a Christian, before Jesus, we live in the old life. That's true of all of us, that before Jesus, we live in the old life. See, Paul says that Jesus came to bring newness of life. But what that means is that before Jesus then, we're living in the old life. Here's what that means. It means that some of us look at our lives and we go, I hate it. And I want a new start. And I want a fresh start. And I don't like my life. A lot of people are searching for that. I want a new life. I don't like it. I want something different. I want something better. I want something more. But some people are living their life and think it's awesome. They love every second of it. They love every minute of it. I mean, Paul, Paul's writing this to both groups of people. I mean, some of the people that are reading that letter when he says Jesus comes to bring newness of life, some people hearing that go, I like my life. I don't want a new life. I like it. But what he says is, we don't know what we don't know. We don't know what we're missing because we haven't had it. C.S. Lewis, a, an old Christian author, said that we're like little kids. He's British, so he says this. He says, we're like little kids playing in the mud, thinking this is, this is awesome, not imagining what a holiday, a vacation, that's the British part, a holiday at sea would be like. So he says, we're like little kids, and we're playing in the mud, and we're playing in the dirt, but we have no idea what Disneyland is. We have no idea. We think this is so fun. I love mud. And, and Jesus is like, yeah, but you could have Disneyland. And that doesn't mean Jesus gives you Disneyland literally, right? But it means that he says, there's a new life that you don't even know you're missing out on for some people. Some people do know they're missing out on it. And they feel that. But Paul, for Paul to say that Jesus brings newness of life, what that means is that before Jesus, we live in the old life. And some of us know it and some of us don't know it. Some of us feel it and some of us don't feel it. But we, we live in the old way of life. But Paul says Jesus comes to bring a new life. And so what is that new life? What's that new life? Well, if you look at the text, what, what he says is, is at least a few things that that new life includes. One of them is a new identity. A new identity, which means kind of the whole foundation of who you are. He says that comes through forgiveness. Forgiveness, that's a powerful word. Something a lot of people are looking for. 
talked to a lot of folks that would say, God could never forgive me for what I've done. And we want it. And we seek it in other ways. Okay, I need a new start. I need a fresh start. Because we want that sense of being forgiven. And Paul says that because Jesus died, our sins can be put to death. I mean, here, here's what the Christian gospel means, good news. Here's what the Christian good news is. It's that the Bible says all of us are pursuing life. We're pursuing it. But we pursue it in fun and in romance and in comfort and in success. We're all pursuing the good life, life to the full. Every one of us. I've never met someone that's not saying, I want to live life to the full at some point in their life. Everybody's pursuing that. Everybody. But what happens is we say, I want that somewhere else, not God. And God says, I've come to give life. I've come to give life to you. And that's what the Bible calls sin. See, sin is when we live our lives saying, I want life somewhere else outside of God. I want to build my own life, do my own thing, find my own joy, my own satisfaction, and I don't need God for that. So the Bible says that because of that, that's, we should get what we want. We, God says, I'm the source of life, and I want to give it to you. And we say, no, I don't want that. I want life over here, which is actually death. And the Bible says that's what we should get. But instead, what happens is that God comes to this earth as Jesus, and says, instead of you dying, I'll die. You've rejected me. You've rejected the life I've come to give you. You should have death, but instead, I'll take it. I'll take the death myself. I'll take the death that you should have, and and I'll die. But not just that. Then I resurrect to give you the life that you can have in me. That's why we called our church True Life, because Everybody is looking for life. Everybody's searching for life. And yet we look for it in all of these false ways. And Jesus says, I came to give you life. That's what we will, that's what we'll celebrate with baptism in just a moment. We'll celebrate that if we identify with Christ, if we connect ourselves with him, as Paul says, unite ourselves to him, that we are put to death our old life and we find new life with him, true life with him. So Paul says he gives us a new identity where we are forgiven, where we have freedom, where sin doesn't have to control us anywhere anymore. The pursuits and the desires of other things don't have to control us anymore. That God can rule and reign in our hearts. And he says that we get a new community. And this is taught more explicitly throughout the Bible, but as you listen to what Paul says, he over and over again says, we, 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 us, 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 we, us. Because the point is that Jesus doesn't just say, I want a relationship with you, which is what many of us have heard. That's true, but he says, I want a new community for you. I want a new family for you. The language the Bible often uses is, I want a new kingdom for you. A whole new kingdom where I'm the king and life is lived with me as king. You have a new family, a new home. There's some people, part of our church, that have said, I didn't even know it, but my whole life, what I've been searching for is a sense of home, to belong, to be accepted, to be loved, to feel at home. And Jesus says, that's what I came to give. I came to give you that. I came to give you a new identity and a new community and a new purpose. 
whole new purpose for life. See, most of us live our lives with our goals and our bucket lists and our, and our dreams and our pursuits and our hobbies, and, and, we, and we give ourselves to those, and some of us really enjoy it, and some of us go, this is lame and boring, and is there something else, and I need a change, and so we move to this city, and we move to this city, and we move to this relationship, we move to this relationship, and we're always kind of trying to fill this thing because we want purpose in our lives. And Paul says that Jesus gives us an entirely new purpose for our life, that we can have life with him, that we can be alive to him. See, this was not a message that the disciples just said was true. It's not a message that the church just said was true. Believe it. Just facts. Two plus two is four. Chicken tastes good. And Jesus rose from the dead. It wasn't just facts. What happened with them is they shifted their entire life around this thing. Their entire life shifted. It changed because if it's true, it means, man, my life actually has a new meaning. My life has a new purpose to it. My life is lived now to help other people experience life with him. So a new identity, a new community, and a new purpose. Last question is this. How do we respond? How do we respond? How, how, when people heard this message, how did people respond? There's a few ways. One is people said, I don't believe it. And as we come to the close, maybe that's where you're at tonight. You've heard it. I might not be the best presenter of the truth, but I've presented it and you have heard it. And maybe you go, I don't buy it. And you're entitled to that. You're entitled to that. Some people, when they heard this, they said, tell us more. See, as Paul, as Paul began to preach this message in different cities around the Roman Empire, some people he went to said, tell us more about that. We're not, we're not sure what we believe, but you've piqued our interest. You've piqued our interest. Tell us more about this Jesus, about this resurrection, about this life. Tell us more about that. And maybe that's where you are. That's part of why we started this church. And part of why we started a new church is to welcome new people and say, if you've got questions, this is a place for you. If you want to explore, this is a place for you. And would invite you to ask those questions. I'd love to get together with you. There's other people that would love to get together with you. I'd love to have you come to some of those classes or whatever. But if you've got questions, ask them. Investigate. And some people, when they heard this message preached, the first sermon that Peter preaches, some people said this. They said, the Bible says they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. That, that this man would come and die for me. That he would take my sins and give me forgiveness and freedom, even though I haven't done anything to earn that. And wait, you're telling me that I've rejected God, I've ignored God, I've lived a life apart from God, and yet he says, I'm not done with you yet. And he comes after me and says, on hearing that, they were cut to the heart. And said, what? What, what do we do? I mean, Peter preaches this sermon and says, you killed God. And they go, okay, what do we do? And maybe that's where some of you are tonight. Maybe, maybe you've been asking that question for a while, or maybe it's just fresh tonight. Or maybe you're a Christian and you've been a Christian for a long, long time. What do you do? Well, what, what Paul says, what Jesus says is, come to me for life. 
See, Paul says, Jesus died and resurrected that we would walk in newness of life. It's not just to receive it. It's not just to have it once. It's to walk in it, to experience it, to live in it, to breathe it, to walk in newness of life. So here's what this means. The resurrection is not something that can be casually accepted. If you walk out of here tonight and say, I believe it, and life looks the same, that's not, that's not what Jesus says. He says, I came to give you a new life. If you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, so let me just speak to the people that are Christians. I know some of you don't believe, and that's great. But if you're a Christian, is your life unexplainable apart from the resurrection? Is it unexplainable unless Jesus rose from the dead? Because that's what Jesus says he comes to bring is a new life. And so the the point of that isn't to, if it's not, to feel guilty about it. The point is to press into Jesus to say, okay, God, I want that new life then. To be cut to the heart and say, okay, I want that. I want that new life. And if you're not a Christian, but you're cut to the heart, then what you do is you come to Jesus and you say, God, forgive me. What have I done? Thank you that you would die for me, that you would call me into life with you, that I could have a new life where I'm forgiven, where I'm free. I can have a new identity, a new community, a new purpose. Thank you. And then you build your life around the fact that Jesus is alive and king. And you get baptized. And you take communion. Here's here's the truth. Jesus is the king of this world. Jesus is alive. And because Jesus defeated death, because he defeated death, that means we can trust him for life. It means we can trust him for life because he defeated death. He's the only one that's ever done it that said, death, I look you in the eye. I take you into myself. And it's done. It's finished. Because Jesus defeated death, we can trust him for our very lives. We can trust him with our lives. We can say, okay, I want the life that you say you came to bring. So you can disbelieve. You can ask questions Or you can worship him and build your life around the resurrection. That's it. When we take communion, what we remember, and this is what we'll do in just a moment. If you're you're not a Christian, then as we sing and as we do this, just just look around at folks and, and, and just maybe pray and say, God, is any of this true? But for those of us that are Christians, as we take communion, what we remember is that the price of Jesus giving us new life was for him to lay down his life. That Jesus said, I love you so much, I'm gonna give you my life. And I love you so much, I want you to trust me with yours. That he has body broken, he had his blood shed to give us a new life. What more could somebody give than a new life? He came to give the greatest thing ever, a new life. So this is what we celebrate with communion. It's what we'll celebrate with baptism. People saying, I have new life in Christ. If you haven't been baptized before, 
I'll be sitting up in the front. Come tell me you want to get baptized. We'll get you a change of clothes. We'll dunk you in the hot, warm water. Okay? It'll be great. And then we also give tithes and offerings. And if you're not a Christian, I know maybe that's weird. Don't give anything. We don't want you to give anything. We want you to receive. We want you to know Jesus. And that's why we give tithes and offerings is because we want to create a place, a community where people can experience the love of God. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. We're going to take communion. We're going to do baptisms. And we're going to sing. And if you believe that Jesus is king, if you believe that he rose from the dead, then I want you to sing celebrating that reality. And if you don't believe that, just look at the lyrics on the screen and stare at people, and that's okay too. Okay? Let me pray. God, Father, you know the heart of every man and woman in this room tonight. You know where everybody's at. You know where everybody's come from. You know what's going on in everybody's life, whether they believe that or not. And God, here's what I just want to ask you to do. Will you cut everyone in this room to the heart? Cut us to the heart that we experience a new joy in you. Cut us to the heart that we repent and turn to you for life, maybe for the first time. Cut us to the heart to ask for forgiveness. Cut us to the heart to look to you and trust you for life. Lord, please do that in everybody's heart in this room. And God, for those that have questions, I pray, lead them to ask. Let no one leave here tonight unchanged. And God, help people know the steps that you want them to take towards you. You love us so much, God. You love us so much that you would give us life. Thank you that you are the one that truly does bring life. Thank you, Jesus.